Welcome to the Joy of Sunflowers podcast. We release podcasts here, in part and in full, on the Joy of Sunflowers website. The Joy of Sunflowers podcast is about sisterhood through infertility and pregnancy loss. We cover a range of topics including fertility, pregnancy after loss and so much more. I speak with a range of people including wellness professionals, medical experts and beautiful mamas. The aim of this podcast is to bring you information and experiences that will validate and equip you for whatever season you find yourself in right now. Hi there. Hi. My name is Melissa Irene. I'm born and raised from Ontario, Canada, or Ontario, yeah. Very Ontario, actually. It's a very, well, it's not a small hotel, but it's close to Toronto, which is the capital city of Ontario. So I am 27, making 28 in a month, and I have two beautiful children. Um, my husband is from Uganda, East Africa, and our journey going all the way back starts there. So it's a pretty interesting one. And together as a couple, we have been through a lot. Unfortunately, a lot of what we have endured has been apart in separate continents. Um, it's weird to say anything about myself, really, because for the last four plus years, my whole entire life has really just revolved around me being a mom. Um, to go into some detail about my story and how I ended up in Uganda, East Africa, um, basically, I met a children's choir similar to, um, I'm not too sure if you've heard about it, but like African children's choir with Toto. There's a lot of choirs out there, but I was at a market, like a farmer's market one day, going all the way back almost eight years ago. And I met a group of Ugandan um, children and their leaders. And that's kind of how I started my journey here. So in March, 2017, I took the leap of faith that I was, I guess, eager to take. Um, and I went on a solo trip to Uganda, East Africa. Um, it was in that first trip that I actually met my husband. So the organization that my husband and I are still with um, is how we met. Uh, he is a music and dance teacher, and I was mainly just a volunteer at the time. Um, our story is very long. <laughs> um, to go into the detail of how our family first began, um, long story short, I returned to Uganda for a third time on a one-way ticket um, with the intentions of being there or being here, sorry, for at least a year. Um, within the first six weeks of my journey back, I got pregnant with my son, my oldest. He is three and a half now. Um, our relationship, so the relationship between my husband and I kind of started around our first pregnancy um we were together but we were very newly together we were friends for a year and a half before we in you know became interested in actually pursuing anything um so it caught us off guard um i ended up going back home to canada to have my baby boy in the summer of 2019 um and unfortunately my husband could not travel with us so my first baby was born with um, loving support and family around us, but not my husband uh, in person, unfortunately. Um, and eight months after my son was born, COVID hit. So originally it was our intention to reunite by my son's first birthday. That didn't happen. Um, he ended up being two years old. 
um, when I came to Uganda again um, and I brought him here to meet his dad for the first time. Um, after two years and five months apart, um, my partner and I reunited and our baby boy finally met his dad and it was beautiful. Um, that's kind of where the roller coaster starts and this is where our lost story starts. Um, to make it short, it was about a month in, we found out again that we were pregnant. And after having, you know, a beautiful boy already, um, never ever thinking that anything could happen, like not ever knowing anyone that has ever gone through a loss, not knowing anyone that's ever gone through complications, um, nothing to do with genetics, nothing. Like we had a beautiful, healthy boy with a, you know, like a normal, healthy pregnancy, normal, healthy baby at the end. Um, there were tiny complications, I would say tiny, because it was really just unfortunate circumstances that led in my son um, having to be, or sorry, myself having to have a C-section to give birth to my son. Um, but he was healthy, like the whole way through. Um, there wasn't anything ever out of normal, if I could say. So long story short, it was July, 2021. Um, we just reunited and I knew right away I just had this feeling like I knew we were pregnant again and we were talking about wanting to have more children, but it never really like came up when to have more kids. It was more so like the interest is there. So um, my very first menstrual cycle back, I missed and I knew right away I was pregnant. It was around three and a half weeks in after returning. And that was after two and a half years apart. Um, so that came as a shocker. And it sounds so mediocre and silly to say, but I was, I was low key upset with my husband over the fact that we were due in April because my birthday is in April. And I knew, I knew right away, like if I was to have another C-section again, I would be giving birth to my baby by my birthday. And I just, in my mind at the time, I did not, I didn't want that. Um, yeah, this is kind of where the roller coaster hits though. So the first 14 and a half, almost 15 weeks of my pregnancy with my daughter, her name is Hannah Rose, um, was normal. Nothing was wrong. Um, I can't even explain it. I just woke up one day around 14 and a half weeks gestation and I just felt like something was off. So I went to a local clinic and, you know, everything with the medical system in Uganda is mainly out of pocket. Um, and it, if you have the money to pay, you can pay, um, you know, to basically get anything you need um, for the most part. Um, so I paid for an ultrasound. Usually in Canada, you don't pay. We work, we have medical coverage. Um, and also you don't have the choice of when you get to go for an ultrasound. You're told this is when you're going and this is when you need to show up. Um, in Uganda, it was, I think it was like $4 Canadian, which is maybe like around like two or three dollars American that I paid to get this ultrasound done and that was the very first time I, I would say that we knew, knew there was some complications but it wasn't to an extent of what it turned out to be um basically at 14 and a half weeks we found out that there was a low amount of amniotic fluid around our baby but I was told every you know myth in the book like drink more water the fluid's going to come back like there is no concern like there was nothing in my mind that would make me believe at that point that I was going to be told later on that my baby was going to die um the anxiety was there I would say but like we were still hopeful because like after 15 weeks in the pregnancy nearly like you don't ever imagine complications to happen I mean like 
it's scary to begin with at any point in time, but like it catches you off guard. The farther you get, the more hope you have that you're going to be bringing your baby home. Right. So we reached another clinic to get a second opinion. And then we were told at that point, you know, let's keep a close eye, like let's monitor biweekly and see what happens to see if the fluid comes back. Um, I didn't like the idea that I would have to wait another two weeks to figure out what was going on. And at that point in time, we had no idea. All we knew is that there was no, there was a lower amount of fluid around our baby. Um, we didn't know her gender. Uh, we didn't know anything. So fast forward to 17 weeks gestation. Um, I'm a pretty, I guess I wouldn't say impatient, but I was just determined to like figure out what was going on because it was it was eating me away basically. Um, so I was determined to go to another hospital for a third opinion. And um, I went to a really good private hospital. I was well taken care of. Um, I went in for the ultrasound and that ultrasound changed my whole entire life. Um, first, it was my grandmother's birthday back in Canada. So it was her 80th birthday that I ended up finding out that my daughter had zero measurable amniotic fluid around her. And ultimately at 17 weeks gestation, that's considered a death sentence and that she, she likely wouldn't survive. Um, at the time, because still, although we were, you know, into our second trimester, the baby is still very small. So there's not a true way to be able to figure out what's going on. Um, that's kind of where the, I guess the look of everything starts, like trying to figure out and pinpoint what was going on was really hard to do because at the end of the day, um, maternally, there was nothing wrong with me. Um, and trying to figure out if it was me or if it was just the baby alone was was tough. Um, I remember going into the OB's office after this ultrasound and they were stunned. Like they, they didn't know if I was leaking. They couldn't figure out what was happening. And I think I was just as stunned. Like when you're basically told like your baby isn't going to survive it, no matter what gestational age, like you're in shock. Like, especially when it's a wanted pregnancy, especially when there's hope that you're going to end up with a baby in the end that's living. Um, that, that day changed my whole entire life. It was November 17th, 2021 that I found out my baby wasn't going to survive. And I was very lucky to connect with um, a, a missionary or a local midwife here. She's an Irish woman and she has a maternity ward um, centered in the city, um, in our capital city. So um, with that being said, um, I got into contact with her and I made contact with a maternal fetal medicine specialist. Um, and from there, we tried to do more trial and error of what was going on. Um, it was determined at my anatomy scan around 20 weeks that my baby did not have kidneys. But at that current time, um, that was all that was believed. Um, because there was no amount of amniotic fluid, um, there was no way for them to actually see what was going on. Um, from my understanding, or at least what I've been told, the amniotic fluid is the window in. So when you know a parent is getting an ultrasound done, that fluid allows for the doctors and the technicians to see what's going on with the baby. So without any 
amniotic fluid. There's no way to really see the baby well. Um, so we were diagnosed with something called olehydramnios, which is basically a loss of, of fluid um, or an extremely low amount of fluid. And then eventually we were upgraded to amnihydramnios, which is completely no fluid all, at all. And we were told with that that um, she wasn't going to survive, likely past viability. She wasn't going to survive at all and they had no idea to tell me when her heart was going to stop like it was really just at that point like monitoring um in the country that i was in which i am in right now um a tmfr uh, was not an option um it's considered illegal in uganda so my choices was either go back to canada right away and if that's what we wanted to do we could go ahead and do it there before 24 weeks or i go back um, or I stay here at least, and we just, you know, hope for the best outcome. So anyways, um, with that being said, um, we chose to continue on with the pregnancy. Um, she was diagnosed in the womb with bilateral renal agenesis, which means no kidneys at all. Um, at the time, she was diagnosed with a heart condition too, but it was minimal compared to the lack of or the complete not having kidneys. Um, with that being said, um, my husband and I made the choice to seek medical care in Canada, but it was very abrupt. Um, in January 2022, I left Uganda at 26 weeks pregnant to seek medical care in my home country. Um, the moment that I came back, our worst fears were confirmed. And um, I think from that point on, I was just in fight or flight. Um, when it was confirmed to me in late January 2022 that she was in going to pass away and that she did not have kidneys showing, um, all I wanted to do was just hop back on the plane and go back to my husband. I didn't want to do it alone. I didn't want to lose her. I didn't want to go through the like the birth of her. I didn't know when she was going to come. Like all they could offer for us at that point, given our circumstances, was just to monitor um, weekly, um, and then to eventually make a plan for birth. So, um, my daughter Hannah Rose was born on April seventh, two thousand and twenty-two, um, five days before my own birthday. Um, she lived for five hours and four minutes. Um, she was a elected C-section baby and that elected C-section gave me the opportunity to see her alive. Um, my husband could not be there in person because he was back in Uganda. So he never got the chance to meet our daughter. Um, I was very grateful for the support and love that I had. I had a very good amount of love and support for my family my oldest, he had the chance to meet his sister before she passed, which was really special because at the time in our hospital, the COVID restrictions were not allowing for visitors to come in. So there was exceptions that were made. Um, prior to her birth, I was accepted into a high risk maternity clinic back in my city. Um, in the part that I left out after returning home from Uganda, I moved to a completely different city, four hours away from my hometown to, re to receive essential care, um, high-risk care, to see if there was anything that could be done, even though, you know, nothing could be. Um, 
I think, I mean, I could remember everything in chronological order, but it's like when I'm telling the story itself, sometimes I feel like I'm missing out like parts and pieces. Um, this memory I mean, it's one just, thing to lose your child. Yeah, and it's, it's the memory yeah. thing, you know, you it's it's the trauma, the layers of trauma as well. Like you just, you can't remember everything perfectly because it's just so much that you've gone through. Okay. Completely, completely. Um, it's a lot to decipher. And I feel like in those periods as well, when you're going through that trauma of in the middle of loss or getting a diagnosis that is terminal for your unborn child, there's no way to be able to react. There's no reaction. Like I've never been one in my life to advocate for myself, but I've always advocate, advocated for my children. And my my daughter taught me my daughter taught me how to push and, you know, speak up when I need to. Um, she taught me a lot. Um, Hannah, my baby girl, um, was born at two kilograms at full term. Um, so she was small. She was 4.4 approximately um, pounds. Um, with that being said, um, we knew that she was terminal you know, upon birth. Um, we were not expecting what was about to come though and what we were told. Um, but we were told initially there was no way to fully know what was going on with our baby until after our baby was born for them to be able to do any testing. And um, originally they were pushing very hard for us to do palliative care without medical intervention. Um, I ended up reaching out to an organization around 22, 23 weeks gestation. It's called 22 Matters. They are located in Canada and the States, but they advocate for parents um, that are in, you know, life-threatening situations with their babies um, prior to viability. So the wonderful uh, founder of that organization, her name is Kayla. Um, she was one of the people that walked me through what to say to a medical team and how to advocate for myself and the proper wording to use to be able to not necessarily get what I want, but to be able to have my uh, my voice be heard in my care plan. Um, so I opted in for medical intervention. I, I wanted my baby to be assessed upon birth um, or after birth. And I had that wish granted. Um and that I'm really grateful for because I think without that talk um, or even knowing what to say, like you don't know what to say in a situation like that. If you've never been through it before, you're lost. Like there's no way to be able to prepare anyone, anyone in the world to, to hear those words, not just of loss itself, but a terminal diagnosis prior to birth. Like when you have a baby or when you're expecting a baby, like, you think at the end of it, you know, you're going to be able to walk home without baby in your arms. And I, myself, as a mother prior to loss, never would even think in my life that not coming home with a baby, having to come home empty handed would even be a possibility. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot to process. Yeah, no, it is. And I, I, I'm with you in that boat. Like I, um, I didn't, I didn't have a stillborn, but I had, um, a, a pregnancy loss and, um, I had three kids, you know, I, I'd had kids and then I had a loss and I was like, what, this can happen. Like <laughs> you can have healthy kids and then have loss. Are you kidding? What is this? Like what, what? 
Um, and I think even as a parent, like, that's the last thing that you expect to, especially with healthy children at home. Like, and that's, I mean, it can happen to anybody. There's no safe zone anywhere, but like, just to already know you have kids. I think you have an expectation or, you know, like the realization that, okay, because I had kids before, like, it's not going to be an issue again. Right. Like it's, that's a lot too. That's a lot to process. Yeah. I mean, you're, I mean, this is really fresh still like you know you she would have been 11 months old um yesterday so it is it is fairly fresh um yeah and I'm only two weeks into having a partner with me again in person so everything that we've missed in the last year um all of those emotions um they're definitely returning um I process grief a lot differently than my husband does. And I've had to really like dig deep within myself and, and respect those boundaries as well, because I realized, you know, even though I was the one that met our daughter, I'm not the only one that created her and I'm not the only parent. And I mean, the type of person I am, I want to show her name from the rooftop. I want to talk about her anywhere I can. I want to be able to tell every single person that I come across that I had this beautiful baby girl like in my mind you know I I've always felt like you know there has to be a purpose to her life like I don't believe in those fairy tales where everything happens for a reason like if everything happened for a reason my baby never would have died she would still be with me right now um but I feel like in her honor, like in her memory, I have to be there. I have to do something for her, um, you know, not just to remember her, but just because like, I feel like as, as her mom, it's my duty. It's my duty to do that. Um, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said about missionary work, um, like, uh, I'm, I'm a Christian and, um, one of the things that kind of helped me is that this is like it's horrible like pregnancy loss um stillborn like losing a child is awful um but the thing that's gotten me through is just holding on to the fact that god is good and he will make good of this awful thing that's happened because he doesn't he's not the author of the awful thing he's not the author of evil but horrible things happen, you know, we go through this awful stuff, um, but God makes good of it. And I think that's something that's gotten me through. That's a beautifully articulated way to think of, you know, just like loss in general. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. I went through a phase after losing my daughter where, although I knew I loved God and I strongly believed in God, I couldn't understand for the life of me, like, how could God let this happen? How could I have this beautiful baby given to me just to have to give her back? Um, the only thing that brought comfort in my heart was knowing that she wasn't alone and that she wasn't in pain and that she was there with God and all of our loved ones um, that have passed on. Um, my daughter was actually named after her grandmother. So my husband's mother that died before I had the chance to meet her. So her name has a lot of meaning towards it. And I just remember thinking prior to losing her, like, 
if I lose her, like, am I going to lose her name too? Like, I'm never going to want to have to name another baby the same name I give my baby, whether they're here or not, right? So, like, I had this weird perspective or image in my mind, like, if, if she's gone, everything else is gone with her, if that makes any sense. But I realized after loss, like, no matter how traumatic the loss itself was and how traumatic it was losing her the way I did, like, her name is still, like, it's engraved in me, like, I live and I breathe knowing like every single day, like I can wake up knowing that I was her mom. Like I, um, I so wish the tables were turned. Like I so wish she was still here. I wish, I wish a lot of things, you know, but I know that her life had a purpose and I know that God created her for a reason. And I take pride in knowing that God made me her mom. Um, I, strongly say it and I'll always say it if my baby was born at 17 weeks gestation I would have loved her just the same um I was very blessed to have an additional 20 weeks with her because I chose to continue on with the pregnancy but that was my personal choice um and to be completely honest with you even as a Christian as a Christian that has gone through a terminal diagnosis and has carried their baby to term I could never go through another term, a full term pregnancy, knowing the outcome, like what happened. I don't think mentally um, or physically I would be able to go through it again. Um, it al- it almost killed me the first time mentally. Um, when I had to walk away, I couldn't bear watching her go. So I chose to left the hospital before they had to take her after she had died. Um, In Canada, we have a lot of wonderful networks and support systems, um, especially when it comes to loss. And I was very fortunate to get something called a cuddle cot, which is um, a cooling pad for um, a baby that has passed in order to give parents an adequate enough or at least more time. There's never enough time, but at least more time with their baby after passing. So Hannah was born on April 7th at 12.36 p.m. and she came out crying. She was screaming. Um, She was born without kidneys and unfortunately several other organs. Um, My daughter was born what is considered um, um, unisex or, you know, um, she did not have a gender, um, unfortunately, because the organs were not there. And that was something that put me in shock and something that I struggled with greatly. there's a lot to our story and a lot that is still unfolding almost a year in, we still don't have a concrete answer on what happened. We are going deep into medical genetic testing and they still don't know why, um, why this happened. Um, it's hard not knowing in some ways. Um, she was born without kidneys. She did not have a bladder. She did not have sex organs externally or externally. And, with us just knowing that there were no kidneys, we never expected the other things. Um, her assumed condition right now is called caudal regression syndrome. Um, wow. But that itself is actually just um, a diagnosis based on elimination of symptoms. Um, so with that being said, there isn't an official way for us to know right now what actually occurred. Um, And it's tough 
um, you want to be able to know the reason why. Like I'm always, I have always been the person that wants to know why, like, and now when it comes to my baby, like, I just want a reason. Yeah. I want to know why this happened. Like God, just tell me, like, tell me why did this happen? Like, how can I prevent it from happening again? Or is there a way to prevent it? Like the fear itself, it, it consumes you. Like it's a lot. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't wish this upon my worst enemy. I wouldn't wish this upon anybody. I, the amount of pain and strength in, entangled in with one another that it takes to carry a terminally ill baby to, to term it's a lot. Uh, look, you know, you're amazing. Like, thank you. I don't know. I couldn't imagine. I just feel like, that. yeah. It almost makes sense in my pregnancy. I just felt like this is her life and I can't take it away. Like, I needed her to be the one to decide. But also, I didn't want to let her go. I was in denial. I didn't want to believe what I was being told. Like, we were given a less than 5% chance of survival from 17 weeks onward in two separate countries. And in my mind, I just felt like if, if she has to go, if she's going to go, let her be the one to choose and let God be the one to take her because I, it can't be me. Um, but that being said, if I ever had to go through another pregnancy like that again, I know what I would have to choose for myself and my family because I've, I know what I've already endured and the pain that it takes to go through that. Um, I haven't had the ability yet to go through pale, um, but it's one day a hope and a dream of mine to experience another pregnancy. But uh, of course the fear is there. Um, the fear is always going to be there no matter what. Um, some days I wish I can go back to that naive young woman that felt, you know, if you're going to get pregnant, you're going to walk away with your baby. I had a different view prior to loss. Um, I felt like, you know, 12 weeks was the safe zone. I felt like yeah. there would ever, there would be no way that I would ever go through a pregnancy with a, a genetic disorder or a, a, an ill baby. Um, God proved me wrong. And the thing is, I don't take shame in it. It hurts no matter what. It's going to hurt. There are consequences to every single situation in every circumstance, whether good or bad. And I know in my heart that I did the right thing for me at the time, no matter how hard it was. But with that being said, the anguish and the toll that it took on me mentally and physically, like I remember being in the hospital with her after she was born right after she had died and I just all I could do was just beg God like let me be the one instead like let me go like I had no desire to want to you know go to be with God but in my mind I just felt like why does it have to be her why couldn't it be me um I have a beautiful boy at home and I know he needed to be but in my heart I love both of my children equally so why did I have to choose why didn't I get the choice at least? Why why did it happen is really what I guess I'm, I find myself asking throughout the last 11 months of my life. Um, at the end of the day, her life taught me a lot. At the end of the day, I really wish she never had to go, but I will never regret what I chose to do. 
I will never regret choosing to give her the chance or the best chance of life. And in my mind, no matter how hard it was for me to have to endure the loss of my own child without the person that I created my child with, um, I know that we made the right decision in giving her the best chance at life. Unfortunately, Uganda is not equipped to deal with medical situations of our extent when it was happening. And at the end of the day, she would have passed on here no matter what. Yeah. Um, we had to fight and choose where we wanted her to be born. And we knew that if she was born in Uganda, she would pass. And if she was born in Canada, she may pass. But at that time, having the best adequate amount of health care and having health care covered without having to pay out of pocket. Yeah. Um, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, I think I'll spend the rest of my life in some ways asking myself how this could happen, the way it was explained to me by one of our head geneticists um, in charge of our specific case um, was that I could be hit by lightning twice in my life before I have another pregnancy like this again. Um, we have gone through three facilities with no answers. Um, yeah. Our testing for genetics started after my daughter was born and um, we had decided to go through with an autopsy. Um, with that being said, um, about a month into that beginning um, testing, um, they decided to go forward and send the test to a secondary facility. That secondary facility was in the States, it was in Minnesota. Um, so it was sent from Ontario, Canada to Minnesota and then sent back to Ontario, Canada and to another facility in Canada. After three um, facilities, there were still no concrete answers and they, the, the people in charge of our case could not figure out what happened. Um, we have confirmation of a gene duplication, but they're scratching their heads because the type of gene duplication she had presented is number one, very rare, but also number two, we did not duplicate properly. So just um, a bit of a backstory, but genes and du you know duplications of genes and genetics are very um, complicated um, situation to understand itself. Um, Typically in a gene duplication, you have a set of two and a set of two. That's what makes it duplicate. So there's two and two. It has to be almost like a set of four in total. Um, this is from my understanding. I may be saying it wrong, but what I know about our case is that she only had a set of one. Instead of the two duplicated genes, there was one set duplicated, which doesn't really add up. Um, the world of genetics itself, though, is very new and advanced, and there is still worldwide figuring things out about our genetics as a whole in humanity. Um, we were accepted into a very specialized program within our, our province in Canada. It is called genome-wide sequencing. So what I know about this testing here that we're now in, involved in is that it is a pilot project run through the Ministry of Health in our province, and it's also being run through two very high up specialized universities in partnership with two very high up um, special um, hospitals um, that cater towards children um, and different needs. Um, 
Anyways, with that being said, these tests are supposed to be a lot more um, in depth. Um, half of our, I would say our puzzle is missing though, because at this time I have been only, or sorry, let me word this better. I'm the only one that has been able to give any genetic samples to um, compare our samples to the baby. Um, my husband has yet to be able to join us in Canada, which is also why I returned back to Uganda to be with him here again. Um, but our testing has to be done in Canada. So our hope right now is that eventually we get to the chance to, to go back to Canada together as a family and we can finish the genetic testing to get a whole picture. Um, although they're still running tests on Hannah, there's only so much they can do without having everything they need. Um, which is a bit tricky, you know, at first I thought after she died, I would get a, you know, a call in about a month or so with what happened. And then that month turned into six months and six months has turned into almost 12 months and 12 months is likely going to be at least a year and a half before there are ever answers or if there are any at all. So, yeah, um, I have had to make peace with the fact that we may not ever know. Um, but I also believe that we're in good hands. Um, it was really important to me to find a reason why I just wanted to know, you know, not just so I could not to say to live with it, but more so just to have a peace of mind. Um, I mean, it's one thing to have to lose your baby at any gestation, but then to not know the reason why your baby died. It's, it's really hard. Um, and then all of that grief and everything in total, you know, the cherry on top of the cake was the fact that my husband and I spent 11 months after her death, not being with each other in person. Um, and 13 months in total having to be apart again, um, not including the first two and a half years that we did. So in a total of six years that we have been together, um, we have basically been apart for four and a half to five years. Uh, which is tough. Um, there's no roadmap. There's no roadmap for anything. Um, you know, there's no roadmap for what it looks like when you decide to have a family um, without having the same citizenships. Um, there's no roadmap when it comes to what it looks like or what life is like when you are given a terminal diagnosis for your baby. No. Um, and there are definitely no roadmap for what life is supposed to be like or how life is supposed to look after you lose your baby, no matter what gestational age. Um, for me, I have experienced a perinatal loss. I have gone through early onset miscarriages before my son was born. So I guess in those scheme of things are the words, you, the right word to use. My son was my rainbow baby. Um but it's weird because now I have this beautiful girl in heaven and she wasn't the storm. And I can't even imagine ever wanting to use the word rainbow to explain a baby after her, because in my mind, she was not a storm. Um, there's a friend of mine within the lost community. She's expecting her, um, her daughter in June after losing her little boy. Um, actually a year ago, he was born premature at 24 weeks and he lived 31 days, which is incredible. Um, but she refers to her her little girl that she's expecting as her sunshine baby. 
And I just like, I absolutely love that. Like, just to like, think like there, there doesn't have to be a storm, you know, of course, rainbows are beautiful, but you know, these children that we, we lose no matter what gestational age they were, no matter if it was early in a pregnancy or late or even after birth at full term, um, that's not, well, of course it hurts, but a child at any gestational age is not a negative thing. I really hope you enjoyed the first part of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit thejoyofsunflowers.com. Please note that all speakers, including experts and professionals, express information, views and opinions that should not be used to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any medical conditions. If you have a medical issue, please consult a qualified professional. Speakers voice their own views, opinions and conclusions and they may not reflect the views, opinions and conclusions of other speakers. Ella Rose, The Joy of Sunflowers and its sponsors may not endorse all or any of the views, opinions or conclusions expressed.